0: Well, good morning, Watermark family and friends that are watching from other places. Uh, this morning, we're going to have a great opportunity, in just a moment to join the other pastoral leaders of Watermark. What the Bible calls them elders as we talk about how you, if you're not currently a member of Watermark, can join our church family. How, if you have been to membership classes in the past, you can, um, participate in community formation. And we're about to celebrate with you the amazing things that God has been doing with this body and caring for the needs in our city, We're going to spend some time at the very end of my time with you today, which is going to be reduced because we are spent about 20 minutes doing that. We're going to just have a little devotional thought, which won't be, I pray, so little in your life. I'm going to share with you about some areas that I want to grow to excel still more. Next week, we're going to dive into First Thessalonians again, where we are being told to excel still more and that we pursue God's will for our life that is specifically a sanctification. And that got me to thinking about uh, how... Our sanctification should be always at the forefront of our mind. Last week, we um, studied uh, with our friend Tyler, uh, James chapter one, verses two through five, which really talks about how we um, should endure various trials with um, a sense of hope, because hope will produce, as it says in another part of scripture, um, in us, its perfect result in all, in all of our lives. So um, don't be upset when you... experience trials because it leads to endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And the idea in verse five is ultimately that Christ in us would make us perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Well, I have come to the conviction that um, I can bring about a little bit more discipline into my life so that more of what Christ doesn't want lacking in my life can be produced. Let me explain that to you as we study together. But Let me start by just praying for you now. Father, thank you for my friends that are here. And my prayer is if there's anybody listening who doesn't yet know that you suffered for them and died for them so that you could produce a perfect living hope for us through Jesus Christ, that today would be the day that they would come to understand that it's sin which leads to death, and the curse of sin has led to all the dysfunction that's in this world, the dysfunction that's in our souls, that has us chasing after things where there are no gods at all, and that produce in us a sense of guilt and shame and sadness that leads to despair and suffering that is immense. I thank you for Christ, whose love has not just covered a multitude of sins, but will cover our eternal debt to you. And I pray if there's anybody listening this morning that doesn't know of your kindness, that they would be reminded of it in the songs we just sang and in this prayer, that you so love the world, that you gave your only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, Jesus, should not perish but have eternal life. So Lord, would you just pierce the hearts of the unbelieving and help them see your hatred for sin because of your love for humanity, and that you are willing to forgive the sin that is in them and on them and controls them if they'll just put their faith in you. And for those of us who have put our faith in you, may we run to you all the more and may you use this time toward that end in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the things I'd love for you to do is to go and um, read a little section of scripture that's before the section that we're gonna study together this morning. We're going to study 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Just a very short section of scripture. But I wanted to say, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses um, 3 through 12, talk about the love of Christ and the kindness of what he's done for you and how he has given us a blessed living hope through his work, that if we would just receive it, it would lead to the freedom that we all long for. So as you go back to study what I'm gonna talk about today, spend some time in verses three through 12 because it talks there about the kindness of God and how praises should be given to his name that he saves sinners like us. Not according to deeds which we have done in righteousness, it says another place, but according to his mercy. Not by our good works, but by the, the, the washing of the regenerating work of God and the renewing that he does through his gracious spirit's work, right? And so he's left us in a world that's still racked by sin. He just doesn't want our sin to contribute to it. He wants us to be delivered from that sin. And he wants us, as we're gonna see in just a second, to not be conformed to the lust which formerly enslaved us. And then he wraps it up by just saying, the gospel that we're living in is such a mystery that angels and prophets used to wonder about how God was gonna accomplish the glory of the story that we now know. If you're a Christian, you know that God loves you. He's not mad at you. He set you free from sin and death through what Jesus has done. And then verse 13 says, therefore, therefore prepare yourself and to be individuals who respond and aren't being distracted by all the craziness in the world. To quote the scripture exactly, it says, therefore prepare your minds for action keeping sober in spirit, which means you're clear thinking. You know you're not here to trifle with sin and you're not here to find pleasure. You're here to serve Christ and you fix your hope completely on the grace that God has given you and brought to you at the revelation in your heart of who Jesus is. Let me just stay with verse 13 for just a second. Church, this morning, My prayer is that you would be more sober-minded. Your pastor needs to be more sober-minded, more clear thinking, and understand that there is an enemy who wants to keep me ineffective now that he is no longer able to keep me enslaved. And church, we are... His ambassadors, church, we are the means through which others today are gonna to see the beauty and the goodness of God. And if we keep trifling with sin, and if we keep being conformed to the former lusts which used to slave, enslave us, we're not going to be who God wants us to be. So may we keep sober in spirit and may we fix our hope, the scripture says, completely on the grace that was brought to us, the revelation of Jesus Christ. I wanna say this to us this morning. Our hope is not that we would be less sinful so God can love us. No, our hope is in the grace of God. And because our hope is in the grace of God and because the grace of God shows us the kindness of God, we want to sin less. We want to move more towards God. Every sin finds at its origin, at the heart of it, this sense that God's not that wonderful and God's not that good. And the gospel flies in the face of that. The gospel says, God's more wonderful than you can imagine. He rescues you from sin and death. So if you know the beauty of that God, verse 14 kicks in, then as obedient children, don't be conformed to the former lusts, which were ours in ignorance. When we were like the rest of the world that thought there was no God, there was no goodness, and so we just on our own had to find life wherever we could. And so we ran around to be entertained and um, by various enticing ideas and practices. We're ready to numb ourselves with um, the delights of this world that brought no satisfaction at all. But no, verse 15 says, you should be like the Holy One who calls you. We should be holy ourselves in all our behavior. And then verse 16, quoting from numerous places in the Old Testament, it's written, we should be holy as he is holy. We are a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a people for God's own possession. I wanna share with you a little bit about what God has convicted me of this week. And that is, um, you know, I, I went back and just reminded myself of what I said to you the very first time we had to go to um, a time of gathering like this. I, I, I made mention the fact that, that the world is slowing down a little bit in, in that we're gonna all have a little bit more time in our homes. And so we don't need to um, ever again use the excuse that, well, I'd spend more time with Jesus if I had time. Well, we've been given plenty of time. What have we been doing with it is the question. We've made lots of choices to entertain ourselves. The word entertain means literally to take hold of something. And entertainment takes hold of you. And what have you been entertaining yourself with? I can remember, right at the beginning of this thing, I remember get getting um, uh, a notification or seeing an advertisement on a website that I was on that there was this show coming out called Tiger King. It just so happens that I happen to know some of the people that are involved in the Tiger King series. Because uh, years ago, I I think I've shared, I, I I used a tiger cub as an illustration and I got it from Joe Exotic. <laughs> And John Ranke became a, a bit of a friend for a season as um, I followed up with him after he actually brought down Calypso, an eight-week-old white Siberian tiger that uh, I spent some time with and would go back up and visit until it grew to be a 500-pound tiger shipped off to a zoo in Orlando. And so I was pretty familiar with what was going on in Winniewood, um, although until I saw Tiger King, I wasn't familiar at all with what was going on at Winniewood. I had no idea the level of craziness. I knew it wasn't. Right? But I didn't know how wrong it was. So I was really excited to start watching Tiger King because my kids have been there with me and fed Twinkies to their grizzly bears and uh, watched me play with some of the animals and all that different stuff. But here's the thing. As I started to watch Tiger King with my kids, I realized we can't play with this. I mean, the debauchery that was talked about and the way it was celebrated and the way it was, some of it, Alluring, not, not the craziness of it, but some of the uh, manipulation of people and the sense of vengeance and even some of the expressions of uh, the perversion that was happening in South Carolina and other places. I, I just go, this is not good. And we shut it down as a family. But there have been other entertainment choices you know, that we have made um, over the time that I know as a dad when they were kids, there's no way we would have done it. I, I was talking to a friend and he was just saying, yeah, you know, me and my high school kids, we were watching some episodes of The Office. And I, I, have, I haven't seen a lot of The Office, but I've seen a lot of clips that people have shown me. I've watched a few of the shows. And I just know that in that incredible series that is so embraced by so many of us, there's a lot of activities that happen in The Office that are not good for our souls and that are enticing. And this... Um, inner office affairs and sexual innuendos that are in there are not exactly the kind of content that 1 Peter 3, 13 through 18 should drive us to. Before the office, there was friends. Before friends, there was Seinfeld. Before Seinfeld, there was cheers. Before cheers, there was mash. This has always been going on. And I can remember... um, you know, in the 90s, I, uh, I would go teach in the mid cities at a, a young adults ministry called Metro and I would get back on a Thursday night, I would stop by a restaurant and I would uh, always grab some food for my wife and I, we had five kids at the time under seven. And so one of our, our, our date night at the time was me would go and teach. I'd come home, I'd get some uh, food at a restaurant. And then she and I would about 10, 15, when I would get home, have a quiet meal with the kids in bed. And we would watch Seinfeld on the weeks that she could remember how to put the VHS in and set the timer and get it recorded, which we batted somewhere barely over 50% of that happening and worked through that in our marriage. But I can remember, we both really enjoyed that show. But I will tell you, there's a lot in Seinfeld that was um, Tiger King-ish. There's a lot in Office that isn't contributing itself to being holy. There's a lot in Friends that um, suggest a lifestyle that is not excellent. Look, I am not a legalist, um, but I am a man that's serious about wanting what Jesus wants for me and what Jesus wants for me is my sanctification. And what I wanna do today is not set a standard for your entertainment based on my perception. I want you to read 1 Peter 1, 3 through 16, and see if your entertainment choices need some sharpening like, like mine does and mine did. Proverbs 14, 16 says, A wise man is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is arrogant and careless. I've shared with you before a syllogism that simply says this So a thought, reap an action, so an action, reap a habit, so a habit, reach a character, so a character reap a destiny. And the destiny that God has for us is holiness. What thoughts are your entertainment choices sowing into your life? Some of you have let me know that you're really struggling with sin during this season. I mean, really, the temptation has been overwhelming. And I, I, um, I want to encourage you to make war against sin and not invite it into your home. And not have your entertainment choices feeding your thoughts. And I know that certain shows like Friends that are so beloved and The Office that is so beloved, there's so much good, awkward humor that's there that we sometimes justify being able to play with some other things that are a whole lot more destructive in our life than a lot of times I'm willing to acknowledge. Um, my sons and I were just looking for a good laugh um, this week and and, um, and so the idea of Key and Peel, who are two comedians uh, who make little shorts and skits, uh, popped up. And I knew Key and Peel because a long time ago, um, there was a, an, an email or, or a little short that was passed around that had the two of them. Um, acting like they were college athletes during the East West all-star game. And there was a a really good, well done introduction with professional uh, announcers and uh, commentators that then threw to these guys. And they acted like they were different um, players from different universities around the countries. And they just were making fun of the hilarity of the way that moms and dads these days name their children. And, and frankly, these guys are both ethnic, they're both black. And they, they were making fun of names within that community specifically. And um, it was fairly clean, fun uh, in that little video. And so we, we started watching Key, Key and peel videos, and um, they kind of built on one another. And I can even remember there was one, that go, oh, that one's really funny. My sons um, said, hey, that one's really funny, but it's got you know a word or two in there. And my wife uh, left the room and I go, hey, let's go, we'll go ahead and watch that one. We can handle those words, right? Um, and uh, I just thought to myself about that statement that, hey, you know, um, let's do it now that maybe somebody is in the room, uh, no longer in the room. And um, actually my wife walked in the room when this particular one was on and uh, it was just about two guys kind of bragging about the way they kind of handle their wives. And uh, it was not the worst thing ever, but I, I, I just thought to myself, I wonder if Jesus was the pastor or the dad in the room if this would be the humor that he would think was funny. And again, I wanna say this, I'm not, I'm not here to be a, a cosmic killjoy for you today. I'm here to tell you how I wanna take seriously the commands of 1 Peter chapter one, 13 through 16, and how I am seriously taking the admonition of God's will for my life, which is my sanctification seriously. And how I, I just confess to my wife and to my kids, I think I can do a better job of, um, of helping us not take hold of things that, even though we can handle it, are producing in us um, a comfortability with things that aren't driving us more towards Christ. Now, some of you guys that are really struggling with sin, I'm just going to tell you, a lot of times, you know, with addictions, things are alive because you're feeding it. And you're feeding it with um, your entertainment choices. And with websites that you visit. And it's gonna lead to destruction unless we make war against sin and take seriously God's admonition to pursue his holiness for our life. The scripture says, Father, I I pray that you'd sanctify them in truth and your word is truth. And so that's why we're looking at his word. And I'm gonna let his word be your entertainment guide. Uh, When we were um, parents of younger children, we wouldn't watch anything without looking at kids in mind or plugged in. And we would vet it and just go, is this going to put into our children's hearts that which is ultimately edifying to them? And I think what we should ask ourselves is, does our father want us to put our entertainment choices that we're making this week into our own hearts? Um, I've been, one of the things I have been doing uh, during this season, I've been reading a, um, an autobiography, not an autobiography, excuse me, a biography about Charles Spurgeon. And Spurgeon has this um, great quote that uh, it, it reminded me of. I didn't read it this particular week, but there were a number of stories about Spurgeon that God used to be helpful to me as I'm trying to be who he wants me to be in his word. Spurgeon said this at one point. He said, far be it from me that I would ever trifle with the evil that killed my best friend. He said, I must be holy for his sake. Where'd he get that idea? First Peter chapter one, verses 13 through 18. How can I live in sin when my God died to save me from it? John Owen says this. Um, he's somebody that lived even actually earlier than Spurgeon. And Spurgeon pulled some of his thinking from, said either you must be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Here's how, here's how Spurgeon said it. He said, if you will not have um, death unto sin, you shall have sin unto death. There is no alternative. If you don't die to sin, um, he says, if you don't let, if you don't slay sin in your own life, sin will slay you. Again, I think I like the really pithy way that Owen says it. And that is either be killing sin or sin will be killing you. I want to let you know that, um, you know, I, I said to my family this week, hey, we're not watching. Uh, really perverse stuff. But I'm not sure that we're watching everything that God, based on his admonition for us, would encourage us to watch if he was the pastor or the priest or the leader present in our home. Do you hear what I just said? I said it in a conditional way. Because sometimes um, I am sure that I believe that God's will for my life is a little too serious. And I just want to reject that. I want to excel still more and be killing sin and making war against sin. I don't want it to be said if he's the priest of our home. I want Christ in me to be the priest of our home. Spurgeon tells a story that I think is um, really helpful. And uh, it's a story that um, talks about how he chose to no longer sit in the gardens of the casinos in Monte Carlo. So list a couple of fun facts about Charles Spurgeon, who I think is a, a man that you guys hear me quote a lot, because I, I do, I try and be spurred on by other great followers of Jesus. And he's one of them. Brother was five foot six. I mean, five foot six. And uh, kind of a sickly guy. He uh, struggled with gout and um, other diseases. He died at 57. That's just one year older than me. He was gone. But... Um, but Spurgeon would winter in the French Riviera. So, um, I'm, I'm thinking about adopting that as a, uh, a practice, <laughs> but Spurgeon would, would, uh, in, leave the, the winters of London and would go for months at a time down to the French Riviera to restore his health and to take uh, some time away and, and, and even to write and prepare. And one of the, um, places down there in the French Riviera is a place called Monaco, and, and uh, inside Monaco is, is the great casinos of Monte Carlo. And um, I want to share with you a story here that I think is going to be helpful, and then we'll just wrap it up. Um, Spurgeon used to love to go to those gardens, and casinos make themselves beautiful because they want people to feel comfortable there. In fact, um, I, I, I knowing I was going to talk about this, I went and looked. The Bellagio, one of the most famous casinos in Las Vegas, when it was being built about two decades ago, had a budget of $6 million alone for flowers. And so uh, the idea of beautiful gardens and casinos, if you will, is not a new idea. I mean, Bellagio spent uh, hundreds of millions on fountains and $6 million on flowers alone. But Spurgeon used to love to go to those flowers. And, uh, and, and there's a story that Spurgeon um, heard a friend of his tell him that he wouldn't go to the gardens. And Spurgeon said, well, why don't you go to the gardens? And he says, well, because I've gotten to know the guy who owns the casino there. And, um, and his name is Monsignor Blanc. And he asked me if I would come to the gardens. And I go, well, I don't feel comfortable going to your gardens and enjoying the beauty of your gardens if I'm not going to go in and patronize your casinos. And Monsignor Blanc said to him, this is, I don't really care if you come into my casinos or not. Even though you never play, your presence in the gardens would contribute very materially to my revenue. And I asked the, the guy who ran the casino, said, so, what do you mean? Um, why, why, would I, why would me going to your gardens help their revenue? And he said this, because a great many people who have not the slightest intention of ever patronizing the casino would nevertheless, nevertheless feel quite safe following you into the gardens. And from the gardens, they will make the transition to the tables that you yourself may never make, but that they won't have the moral strength to not move to themselves. After that, Spurgeon quit going to the gardens because he realized that if he went to the gardens, others would go to the tables. And as a father, uh, I just thought this week I could do a better job of not going to the gardens of certain entertainment because my kids may go to tables. Leaders, this is the fact. What you do in moderation, others often do in excess. And so we don't want to use our freedoms in a way that would cause other people to sin. And here's the truth. Sometimes the gardens that I go to lead me to tables. I'm going to close perfectly. Here's the perfect closing. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. His glory and his beauty are coming. Purify yourself, therefore, so that when he comes, you won't shrink back. Be useful to him in this season in a way that God intends. Satan, no longer if you're his, can keep you enslaved to hell, but he can make you ineffective in your stewardship of being an ambassador for Christ. As obedient children, let me go back to closing perfectly. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in ignorance, but be like the Holy One, the scripture says, who called you. Be holy yourselves in all your behavior because it's written, you shall be holy because you're God and your father is holy. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession. Let me pray for you and I wanna celebrate how we wanna help you be around others that you can pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with. Here, let me tell you about some online membership classes now and about some ways that you have been God's people in loving our city during this season. Father, thank you for this text and the way it helped me this week once again make more war against sin. And so I pray for your people, your body, Lord, that um, they wouldn't hear today that they couldn't do something, that they would hear today that they could do something. They could pursue more of your intention for them and excel still more at pursuing holiness in every way that you intended so that they might be useful to you, their master, vessels of honor prepared for every good work. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for your grace, which covers a multitude of our sins. But may we not trifle with the sin that murdered our friend. Lord, we want to be killing sin, so sin will not be killing us. And I pray for anybody who doesn't know that Christ died for their sin, that today they could repent and run towards the grace and the goodness of God in a way that would cause you to rejoice, that they would come home and they'd be set free and that your spirit would live inside of them so that they would then begin pursuing with us the sanctification which is for your glory and our good and will be used in the world to show them the power of God. We love you and we thank you for a chance to be sharpened, edified, and reminded this morning. Let us be your church. Thank you that we're holy because of what you have done. But let us then follow in your steps. In Jesus' name, amen.